Hi, and welcome to Beta's monthly podcast series, How We Listen Live in Conversation. I'm Mark Brown, the founder of Beta.com, the platform enabling the sending and receiving of digital audio in a clean, simple, and secure way. Built for everyone working with music today. Beta's goal is to provide artists and their teams with the tools and the knowledge to help move their careers forward. Anyone interested in working in and around the music ecosystem should have access to as many insights into the business of music as possible. We think that the best approach is to do as much as you can on your own before you start building your team. And this podcast series will help. We present our How We Listen Live in Conversation events in two parts. In the first, I offer up some of my experience in the music industry and highlight what's happening at Beta. The second part is an in-depth one-on-one conversation with someone from deep within the music ecosystem. Each guest talks about how they've made their way to where they are today, while offering tips and tricks they picked up along the way. You are about to hear the one-on-one conversation. Tune in live online on the last Tuesday of every month to hear the whole event. Sign up is free. Our guest today is May Mamoudi, who works in A&R at Ninja Tunes Big Data Records and in the sync department of Just Isn't Music Publishing. May was brought on at Big Data when they relaunched in early 2021, now actively working to amplify Black, POC, and racialized voices. May has also been a working DJ producer for nearly a decade, artists, labels, and publishing. May relates to and understands many aspects of the music ecosystem. Our chat has many great perspectives and lots of good advice for new artists. May spoke to us from Los Angeles, California. Here's our conversation. Oh, first off, maybe you should say what you do, because you wear many hats, I believe. Is that correct? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, as do many people in the music industry nowadays, I feel like. Um, but yeah, I work at Ninja Tune. Um, I started out on the publishing side working in sync. And I still do that in addition to doing AR on the label side for the Ninja Tune sub-label Big Data. And I also make music and DJ under my artist moniker Morale. Okay. Where did you start? So you're in LA. So like, where did you start out? How did you end up? Did you grow up in LA or what? No, I grew up in Northern Virginia near Washington, DC. Okay. Um, I didn't go to school for music or anything. So I was just very a huge music fan. I always say that I started out as like a listener. I was a big uh-huh. listener, a big um digger of music, just studying music history, studying different labels, just like using Wikipedia when I was younger. And then in college, I didn't study music, but I was part of like a great music scene um, in Virginia Tech, which is usually like a, you know, sports oriented school. So we kind of had to create our own music scene there. And it was very tiny, but it ended up leading to bands like Wild Nothing, members of like beach fossils are part of were a part of this music scene so it was like a really cool scene to you know that was just like a couple of people but it ended up leading to like bigger things and I think it was great to have that kind of incubation period in a smaller scene for all of our music 
Um, and then after college, I stayed in Virginia for like two more years. And then I moved out to LA with like 15 of my friends and everyone does stuff in music in different ways. And how did you coordinate that? That's like moving all mass like that is pretty it, interesting. It was due to the fact that one of our friends got into pop songwriting and yeah. he had uh, some success in that. And then our friends kind of started revolving around that success and building out from there. So a lot of my friends do pop songwriting, pop production and pop management. So my friend is a management company and now a publishing company. So that's kind of what they focused on and how they grew and the ability for everyone to move out was kind of due to that success. What was your vibe? Yeah, I definitely was not interested in being a part of the pop scene. Although I think what my friends did was like really amazing. But just even coming to LA and seeing what it was like, I was like, oh, this is not the place for me. So let me try to figure out my own path. Um, so I kind of went the indie route. I went the underground route for my own music. I started just DJing and playing shows at like warehouse raves and underground venues in LA and just linking up with a cool um, group of experimental artists here that were really helpful in giving me space to do my thing and grow. And at the same time, I did have to, you know, I had odd jobs like working at a psychology office, dog walker, until I got a job at Universal Music Publishing just to get a job in music in the copyright and royalty department. Yeah. So I worked there for like three and a half years and, and until I got the job at NinjaTune. But it was because of all these other things I was doing on the side that I was able to kind of grow, continue growing while still working a job that wasn't really related to the space that I wanted to be in, which is more of an indie space, while Universal is more of a major label space. Like the major label. How how did you jump from Universal to Ninja Big Data? So yeah, I, I had been looking since the beginning because I just, I didn't really feel good at Universal. I thought Universal was great, but I just, again, not my people, not my vibe. So I been look, I was like looking for a job the whole time. And then I found a sync assistant job at NinjaTune and I applied and just without knowing anyone in NinjaTune, which is, you know, very hard to get a job in music without knowing someone. So I, I went, I like looked up who the sync person was and I emailed him directly and got a meeting set up and was able to like get through several rounds of meetings and got the job luckily. And I heard that there were like 200, 300 plus people applying for this job. And it was like, really? Wow. Yeah. It was like a really, I had, uh, (laughs) you know, I had a lot of friends who were like, yeah, I applied for that job. I didn't get it or whatever, but I really built my resume by just doing things. Like I was managing my friends' bands. I was DJing. I had a club night. I had like a lot of different things that I was just doing on my own that would add to like me understanding things. And then at the same time at Universal, I learned a lot of backend stuff like publishing, copyright, royalties. So just like gaining as much knowledge and not feeling like I'm too cool to like know the backend nerdy stuff of music. You know what I mean? Like I I really studied basically. And then like, so how how much time did you spend on the publishing side before you went to the record side? So then when I moved on to NinjaTune, I worked 
I just started at Big Daughter three years ago and I've been there five years. So yeah, I worked for like two and a half years, almost three years on the publishing side. Again, just kind of paying my dues. And then I was able to move on to the label side and do A&R. So then though, like, because what I think is super interesting is like, those are two different worlds, are they not? Summarize the difference between records and publishing. Yeah, they're both, they're very different. You know, on the publishing side, you're focusing more on things like sessions, sync placements, um, signing artists that fit those two categories. And just kind of like admin, you know, like a lot of just like making sure everything um, is being paid out correctly. And um, yeah, so it's more just kind of on the A&R side, it's more connecting people for sessions and kind of it is can be kind of really creative in that sense. But it is just more on the back end side of things. You're not working directly on like releases, which is what you would do on the label side is like. You sign the artist and then you work with them throughout the whole release. On the A&R side, it is finding the artist, making sure they fit the criteria that you need as a label, but at the same time, making sure that you are the right label for them and you're able to provide the right resources. And then, yeah, the artist campaign. And, you know, also if you're working with an artist that doesn't have an album done yet, you're doing kind of the same type of A&R that you do on the publishing side. Again, connecting them with producers making sure that they um, are creating the best music that they can. Like, I think sort of intuitively, I would say that an artist would have a better idea of how to release a record than to deal with the publishing side. Did you find that artists were G'd up about the publishing side? Because I even find it complicated still. Well, the admin side is really complicated. And I think that's what artists need the most help with. But actually, in terms of connecting with other artists and doing sessions and stuff, sometimes in the end, it's better when it's just artist to artist. You know, it's like authentically their community who they're already talking to, playing shows with that. I think artists can sometimes be the best A&Rs for themselves, you know? Yeah, well, you were mentioning one of the artists you work with just did something with Beck. It came together organically. Yeah, we were just talking about how it would be great if one of the tracks on the album had a feature. And she was like, oh, I know Beck. And I was like, oh, just DM Beck, text Beck. And she texted back and it just happened. You know, it's like, that's so much better than us having to go through the label or the managers. Like it wouldn't have happened if it if yeah. it was through that. When, when I did radio promotion, I always thought like, it's way better when the artist goes to the DJ themselves. Press really likes it when the artist hits them up directly. Yeah. Especially at the start. Like it's, I always tried to stay out of the way as much as possible. Tell me about w- what you're doing these days then on the label side you're are you sp- how do you spend most of your time would you say like or how does your day break go? yeah I mean uh, I'm still doing publishing sync stuff so that is oh, okay. still my job as well um I like support the sync team and I help with like U.S. publishing A&R as well but you know on the label side I'm also working on the, it's like you know I split up my days between both um on the label side it requires a lot of meetings a lot of meetings with the UK staff because okay, everyone yeah. from Big Data is actually based in the UK, basically. Only yeah. one other member is in the US. So yeah, waking up er- early in the morning and having those meetings. And then uh, at the same time, keeping in touch with all of our artists that we've already signed. 
uh, making sure that, you know, either they're working on music or we're in campaign and making sure they're feeling good about everything, making sure they're aware of all the things we need from them. We're always needing things from artists, right? So just keeping tabs on all that stuff. And then um, at the same time, talking to artists that we potentially want to sign and also researching to see um, if there's anyone we should be talking to that we're not already talking to. You started doing publishing. So what would you be looking for? This is such a vague question, but like, what would you be looking for in an artist when you're trying to sign them for publishing? What are the things that are most attractive or, or that you need to have maybe? I think it depends on what kind of publishing company, like what is the focus of the publishing company um, at just as a music, we have such a strong sync team. Um, okay. so I feel like a lot of our signings revolve around sync, how syncable the artist is and how, yeah, past syncs, like what is their potential within that realm? But at the same time, we are expanding and looking at great songwriters, great producers, and trying to bring both of those worlds together. So yeah, I think for publishing, it's more about, I mean, we do sign artists as well. So like we'll sign like an artist that's doing really well and they would be, it would be beneficial to work with them on the publishing side as well. Or even yeah. a lot of the time when we have artists signed on the master side, the label side, we'll sign them on the publishing side. So it's an yeah. easy thing to have that. And then when you go to pitch for sync, it's all easy, clearable. That's a big benefit to the clients. Um, so I think, yeah, I think really it is about more what and how they fit into the songwriting world and also the sync world. So they could be so just like, a producer without any cuts themselves, but they are actually a great producer in making sync friendly tracks or they're a great producer in working with other artists. This, this is like a chicken and egg thing. Like how do new artists get syncs? Because when we chatted last week or whatever, we were talking about how a lot of artists need to do loads of stuff themselves and that makes complete sense like you really and we'll talk about that in a bit but how how would an artist be trying to get syncs if they don't know anything about the sync world and they don't have the support of a publisher you must get that question all the time yeah I mean I think that is like you're saying a chicken and egg situation sometimes uh artists will make music that's so syncable that the music supervisor will just find it I have friends who are artists who just through releasing their music and be playing shows, they get onto the um, radar of music supervisors. So there's different ways to, you know, get your music in front of music supervisors. But of course, you have to kind of live in Los Angeles or New York City or these main um, yeah. hubs to get to like physically be able to like play a show for a music supervisor. But yeah, I think a lot of it you need to have a publisher or sync agency to pitch your music in order to yeah. get into the system. So something that would be syncable is, is that based on making music that follows other music that's popular, but is that the deal that you find it's a lot of the time it fits the vibe of what else is being synced? That's just something I find kind of disappointing about music in general is like, you know, besides the business side of publishing A&R, yeah, that's great. Find artists that fit into these briefs that you are looking for because you need to have that catalog as like a yeah. main publisher. But 
I don't think we should be promoting that type of mindset of like, you need to make music that sounds like what's on TV in order to get opportunities. I think music supervisors don't want that either, but it is of course an avenue to get into these things. But I think it's more interesting if you try to just make music and see what happens. No, it's I like, agree. I don't want to be promoting people making like what I call Ikea music just so they could get a, a little bit, a little sync on like um, selling sunset or something like, you know, it's just not what we should kind of be focusing on. And, and you're always focused. Like the problem with that is you're always focusing backwards. Like you're always looking back instead of looking forward. And that means that whatever you're doing is going to run out of steam anyway. Um, yeah, so then, oh, oh, okay. Over to, over the record side from an A&R point of view, like how does that differ? would you say? Yeah, so that's that's very different, but it also has its constraints. Specifically, what I'm trying to, what we're doing at Big Data is that we are looking at people who are pushing boundaries and trying to provide them with resources more early on in their career than they would usually get. Like the artists that we signed to Big Data probably wouldn't be signed to Ninja Tune yet. Although we also sign like bigger artists too, but it's just like kind of focusing on people who, have a really interesting community, have built a fan base around that community, but kind of need help within the realms of like Spotify, press, all these different things that we have our in-house teams for. Um, and then just like people who have a true vision for what they're trying to do, but at the same time, not just like inward, like they're building something outside of themselves with their music and the community that they are a part of. That's different than how most indie labels will sign nowadays, you know. How would you summarize indie labels approach to signing these days? Um, a lot of it has to do with how much your Spotify numbers. It's very analytics based. I mean, not as much as like major labels. Major labels have like software that follows trending things and your analytics and they sign that way. But I would say for indie labels, there's still that excitement of just like the music is good. Let's yeah, yeah, let's like pursue that. But at the same time, numbers on social media, on Spotify, what is their settling capability for physical? Um, and what is their touring capability? Are they selling out shows? Um, do they have that fan base where they can go on tour and push the record? How are they doing on radio? Um, how are they doing with press? How, what have they built on their own already? Um, and can we like maximize on that? You would say that say big data is more, we feel something here. And we feel the, the irrespective of where the number is at, we can work with the artist to build that together. Yeah, and that's only because we're a sub-label that we're capable of kind of doing this. I think that sort of method of A&Ring isn't as possible as it used to be, sadly. And we're just in a lucky position where we have the Ninja Tune umbrella to work under. So we can kind of take risks and sign smaller artists. Um, but, you know, we did that with like some artists on our roster that was, you know, they, it was very beneficial and that we really helped the artists grow. And now they're a big artist. So it's like, it's still possible, but there's also risks involved that, I think a big major indie wouldn't be able to take. And also what you are able to give back 
is also different than when you're working with small artists, so like smaller advances, smaller marketing budgets, et cetera. So there has to be a balance, obviously, but it, it the point of big data is to kind of uh, try to help and push music in a different way than what is usual. How do you see like publishing in our from that point of view? Are people very focused on metrics in the same way that so there's the song composition is super important from a sync point of view. But do they also look at metrics in the same way? Is there that because data, quote unquote, seems to be pressing on everything? Yeah, definitely. Data is a big part of it and history. But on publishing, you can take a bit more risks. You can sign a smaller artist and just like work with them with their catalog and see where it goes, you know, because you're not also putting in marketing budget. You're not putting in physical budget. The the costs are less when you sign someone for publishing as opposed to when you sign someone for releasing a record. Yeah. The big question, why would anybody sign to a label? This is loaded, a loaded question. Why would anybody sign to a label when they could do it all themselves? Um, I think it's pretty hard to do it all yourself and still unless you have like a crazy team that you're paying yeah I think also there's that whole thing about labels and music history and just being a part of something bigger than yourself that then ends up helping you grow in a more authentic way maybe even where it's like you've got you have that support system you don't feel like you have to participate in certain ways I don't know it depends on what kind of label again like it's like sometimes I feel like a small underground like Bandcamp label is more beneficial than working with like a bigger label because they can add support without maybe making you do certain things that you wouldn't want to do. Because when you sign to a bigger label, you are you need to play the game, basically, if you want to get the most benefit from signing to a label, basically. So I feel like. I think there is so much benefit to working with labels because you have these built-in teams that do things like radio, press, marketing, um, Spotify, digital, and you just have that support system and that history to to be a part of. I think that's that's a really important thing that we forget about nowadays is that it'd be great to have context. It'd be great to give history. <laughs> but that's the reason I ask because the, the context and history are the things that a lot of artists lack at the start, especially like when you're talking about big, big data, if you're working with artists really early on, I, I want to talk about that, like the, like the, the band camp label thing, but because say, for example, signing to a band camp label versus big data versus Ninja versus universal. Mm -hmm. If, if you had a deals on the table with all of them, like I think a lot of artists might think, Oh, I go to the, the biggest is the best. And and that Bandcamp angle, I think, is super interesting. It's like, explain a little more why you think for some artists that would be the right step. If you're a new artist and you have all those options, you go with Bandcamp, actually. You might not get a big advance, but actually you, you are, you know, from my own music and also working with other artists, I've realized that Bandcamp is kind of the best ecosystem to start growing in. Like for my own stuff, I released a record on in 2019 on Bandcamp with this really small underground label, but he was it was a really well-respected label and it had a fan base. So I was like basically unknown before then. I was just more known as a DJ. 
But through that record, through releasing a record with them, I put out like a critically acclaimed mixtape that Pitchfork covered. Everyone was like aware of and the tape sold out. Like it was like a kind of like cult thing for that year. And that helped jumpstart my career where I'm able to do so many cool things now. And it was like literally because of that release and releasing it in that way where people were paying attention. So if I had released that maybe on a Ninja Tune, it would be competing with so many other releases that people are paying attention to from Ninja Tune. But this small Bandcamp label that has this cult fan base only release a couple of records a year, people are paying attention to them. And then it just word of mouth organically grows in that way. Someone's like, oh, do you have you heard this like record that everyone's been talking about? As opposed to when you're working with like a Ninja Tune, it only makes sense when you're already established a bit and have done that kind of DIY route because then people already have become known of you, but like you're not getting lost basically, like your name is already out there. But if your name is not out there, it makes sense to build slowly instead of going big because you just get lost if you go big too quickly. How many years did it take for you to release your first record? I mean, I started DJing in 2009 and that was kind of my main focus. And I started, I did this thing called Red Bull Music Academy. Um, So that was like back when Red Bull did these amazing camps where you'd go and work with people for like a week or two weeks on music. And it was like at Bonnaroo and going there really helped me feel like I could become a producer. And I just worked with all these other producers and they helped make me feel good about it. So then I was like, okay, I'll actually release music. So it was like 2018 was the rebel camp. And then I released my first record in 2019 after this label reached out because he found my stuff on SoundCloud. So I, I, the whole time I'd been just putting stuff up on SoundCloud, but not like pushing it. Um, But then he found it on SoundCloud and was like, let's get this all together and put out a record. But yeah, 10 years since I started the first record we didn't even have on Spotify. It was just on Bandcamp only for like two years, three years. And then we finally put it on Spotify. But building that reputation was really important um, to to be respected for when you do put the music out and people are actually interested in listening to it in an organic way as opposed to being like, I, I I have no connection to this scene, but you must listen to my music, you know? Like, why would you not put it on Spotify? It was like a different kind of environment where like Spotify didn't even have playlisting or anything really available for experimental music. Again, this is from the lens of making experimental electronic yeah. music. Yeah. Um, it just made sense to have it just on Bandcamp the label was just very anti-Spotify. Maybe if they weren't so anti-Spotify, we would have just put it up on Spotify just to have it on there because it's a great music discovery tool. But I think it also added a bit of mystery to it and it, it resulted in people, you know, even though I had the music for just buy, give what you want, like no set price, people really bought the music and still buying the music. So I think it helped set a precedent that, People can buy my music as opposed to just stream it. We'll be right back after this break. Hi, Jen from Beta here. Beta is the platform that enables sending and receiving of digital audio in a clean, simple and secure way. 
Beta is also unrivaled in taking advantage of Audiophile's unique properties. That means the beta reads and writes file metadata, it converts audio file formats, and can quickly deliver secure downloads and or great sounding streaming. Create, promote, and discover with beta. Back to the label thing. I, I think it's interesting, like, is it something that I think maybe people don't appreciate is like, say, Ninja is really good at releasing records at a certain level because that's the machine that they've built. Is that not correct? Like that, that you, that, that if you're running a marathon, you've got to, you've got to be ready to get into the process. And sort of, I, I guess what you're saying is, is that you need to warm up somewhere and, and train yourself up and to know the ins, ins and outs of, and to have music that's ready to take advantage of all this amazing experience and the connections they have. Is that sort of what you mean? Yeah, exactly. Because Ninja Tune is so good at their album campaigns and they've had crazy successes with just like their teams are just so like, it's like a joy to work with them because they're really on top of it. But I just feel like unless you also have to be on top of it and you also have to have grown to a certain degree in order to be able to take it full advantage of it and have like a true vision. And I feel like artists need that DIY time to really figure out who they are before they get into the system or they will just like flounder and just like have a hard time mentally with it all too. You know, not just maybe not being able to compete with the landscape, but at the same time also just not being able to stay true to themselves. And the authenticity is what you really want to keep within these things while you are working with these avenues that are hard and harsh and not a good vibe. But, you know, as long as you're true to your vision, those sort of things won't be as impactful when you are in it, you know? Like an another thing we were talking about when we chatted was th this sort of, you use the, the word music ecosystem, which I love because I can't stand music business, even though there is a music business within the music ecosystem. But this idea that everybody's trying to get into the music business, be it as an artist or someone wants to work in it, where you need to be approved to come in through the gate or whatever. But then we also talked about how, like when I started, it was, it was so pre-internet, you had to get records in a record shops, distributors. And now it's a bit of a, a, bit of a free for all. Like, and I wonder what your take over, say, the time that you were in university till now, do you think it's better for artists or like, is it more accessible or is it harder because of more releases? And you've got this A&R hat on as well. So you can take it from that perspective. What do you think? I think it's definitely harder. Like, for example, when I was in college, the whole way that While Nothing became this big band that got signed was that he just sent this demo of him covering Kate Bush into Pitchfork, just like without a PR, just by himself. You know, he just sent it and that blew up. And just getting one write up on Pitchfork meant that you would get signed to a label. I mean, the music was amazing, but it's like you get signed to a label, you are you're set and like being signed to a label also meant that you were set. And now he has this great, beautiful career that he's built. And just from one pitchfork write-up, basically. But like nowadays, 
you get several pitchfork write-ups and you basically, you know, little drop in the bucket. You know, you get maybe a few people hitting you up and stuff, but it's just not the same impact because you are, again, competing with so much. It's so oversaturated. But at the same time, like you said, gatekeepers are less. So there's so much opportunity to create your own world and to grow within that. Like, I always think people should grow within a niche and then expand because everyone has access to the same things. They can grow their own thing and build themselves. Either you're building your resume for a job or you're building your music career, but you're really able to, like I said, do it yourself in such a beautiful way that no, you know, wasn't capable of back in the day. And it's opened up so much room for diversity, for women in music, for so many different types of people. So it's like, yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't be able to exist if it wasn't for this time period. So I'm very thankful for it. And I think some of the best music ever is during this time period. But at the same time, there's so much pollution that comes from, you know, people just feeling like, first of all, they have a computer program that easily can make anything you want, like whatever. You can make music so easily, which is a great thing. But people take advantage of that and just make basic shit and just put it up on all these places and then, you know, spam everyone, spam all the music writers, spam everyone where at some point everyone's so overwhelmed that they cannot even engage with the good stuff until like it takes five years for them to actually finally click that email. Uh, And the link's dead. The link's dead after five. The link's dead. And I just, yeah, exactly. And I just feel like it would be so great if everyone could just take a bit more responsibility about how they interact with the music ecosystem, just like how we have been taking responsibility about the environment in general. How, how are we a more responsible person within this ecosystem as a listener, you know, supporting people through merch, through going to shows, blah, 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 band camp, or someone who is putting out music? Are you adding to it? Or are you just you know, wanting to do something because you want to like go to parties or you want to do, you know, you just want to be famous basically. And it's like, you can just use TikTok for that. So maybe there's other avenues to satisfy that itch. <laughs> but but I, I want to go back. I, I, I'm interested by your comment that you, that you said that it, it, it's thanks to this time mm-hmm. that you've been able to do what you do. Why, why do you say that? Well, specifically for my music, I use Ableton and I do a lot of manipulation of sound in a Uh a way that probably I wouldn't, this specific sound that I do, I wouldn't be able to do without the technological advancements we have. And also just the ability that I was able to get like a cracked version of Ableton, a free version of it when I was younger in college from a friend on my laptop that I had. And then you see also this freedom of having access to these computer programs and having like laptops all around the world where places like Portugal, Mexico, South Africa, all have these new genres of electronic music coming out that is due to the fact that these places finally have access to equipment and programs that allow them to do this. So I think that is a big part of it. And then also just um, there being more room for diversity and just opportunities for us to all create our own zones. Like, I just feel like there wasn't this opportunity, even when I was growing up, I 
all my guy friends were in bands, but I never thought I could be in a band or have that opportunity. You know what I mean? So just not so much more knowledge is available to us now, like what you can do in the music industry. I didn't know any of these jobs when I first moved to L.A. about what you could do in music. And I just had to very slowly learn. But now I feel like everyone can learn much quicker. And I think that's really cool. Like I always talk about when I started, there was no such thing as a music school, like where you go, you can actually go to school to learn publishing. Yeah. And yeah. back, like back in the day, it was like, oh my God, like you can never go to school. That would be uncool. I, I think it's interesting that trade-off, the the like pollution is a very strong word, but there's, it, it seems to be the correct word in a way. I never thought of it that way. Do you think people are mindful of that at all? Or do you think they're just like, you know, I'm, you know, for people listening, I've got my elbows out. Do you think people are just trying to push their way into something because they think they need to be somewhere? Yeah. And I think that's the whole issue with a lot of the world in general, just like the human mindset of feeling like they need to push themselves into a situation um, for like, you know, very kind of superficial personal gain of just like that endorphin rush that we've all been so um conditioned to love from Instagram to different types of social media of like yeah I want to put myself out there and I think that can be a positive thing obviously I don't want to be negative about it I just feel like we just need to be a bit more mindful about how we do things in general like from just our daily actions to how we yeah participate with music and art and what is music and art to you? What does it represent? Is it just a means to an end? Or is it like a true, like kind of like spiritual um, communion thing that you're doing, you know? So like, let's, instead of thinking about all the pollution, like how do you look at that when you create your own music and create environment around what you're doing? And then how do you look at that when you're looking from an A&R point of view? Because that must be something you look for, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm saying all this as of someone who makes their music by themselves in a bedroom. You know what I mean? Like I a lot of my music making process is um, solitary. But what I try to do in order to make it something beyond myself is how do I participate in my community? Like putting on shows. I, I, I was always putting on shows before COVID and I still do it every once in a while or you know, I have a radio show, so I try to bring on guests for the radio show or or help other people get radio shows or just like, yeah, try to always have that level of conversation with my community. That is the whole reason why I am where I am. You know, I came to L.A. not knowing anyone except for my friends who didn't know anyone either, like in terms of like playing shows and stuff. And I just went to shows, met people, sent them my music but only if it made sense that they were going to like it, you know, really being intentional in how you move within these spaces and not taking up people's times just to take up their time. Um, and then, yeah. At the, and then once I was, you know, got to a point where I could start supporting people, just having that kind of exchange with them. And I, and I look at that in our artists too, like every one of the artists that we signed to big data, are also just huge fans of music and they are just like at the same time of being an artist working with other artists just in terms of just going to other people's shows or just supporting each other in any way that's possible I think that's so important and ends up 
only um, giving you more um, support and nourishment to, to do better for yourself too. Hi, Jen from Beta here. I want you to know that every podcast features a different guest. They each offer up a unique perspective from deep within the music ecosystem. Like Mark's talk with Michelle Cable, founder of Panache Booking and Management. Michelle got her start in the music business at the early age of 14, booking shows and publishing a fanzine. Music is not the easiest of paths to choose as a career, so having an undying passion for music has to be key. Go listen to that episode, get inspired, and stay passionate. So like when you're, like you hear about an artist through whatever channel, like what what are the things that really, like, can you think of it? Is it a feeling you get that, oh, like when I check, it's not how many followers they have on Insta. It's just the vibe of the photos or it's the cover art. Like, are those the things that you start to think, oh, it all, it all comes together in a way? Like, if you're not focused on numbers and how do you create, what's the emotional connection type thing, do you think? I guess for me, I use social media a lot to like follow the artists and see what, you know, world they live in and just kind of, I mean, for me, because I'm an artist, I'm already in all these communities. So it's a really helpful part of incorporating both of these things together. It's like, I'm already almost aware of every single artist and what they, they, what they are a part of and like the yeah. different ecosystems from New York City to LA to London and how do these all interact with each other and there's certain players that are or you know through their own work or are in a awareness of you know the scene basically so it's like i'm mostly looking towards those artists so i already have a good understanding and this just comes from me being a music nerd of what the scene is currently like what is the music landscape currently so i have that understanding and i utilize that when i'm looking at those artists like how does this artist compare to this one and if if i get sent an artist from a manager that i haven't heard of within these scenes i'm like who is this is this just someone who this manager wants to push but then if i dig a little bit deeper and i see oh this person knows this other artist or this person has played this show with this person, it helps give me context. So I'm not yeah. looking at the numbers. I'm looking at the overall context of where these artists stand and also what their fan base would be. Cause that's just a very important part of it that you cannot ignore is do they have a fan base? Do they have the potential to grow that fan base? And, you know, what are they doing to kind of do that? Do you think that can create any sort of bias like the way you mentioned the manager thing you're like oh wait this manager i don't know like i i this hasn't come through the normal channels do you find yourself having to remind yourself to be open mm. do, do you see what i mean like because normally if you're in if if you're in a certain scene or you have that vibe on stuff you're like i know what's going on but do you, do you do you have to remind yourself or is it more that you get pleasantly surprised you realize oh i can just check it out and decide and then yeah yeah i'm always open and i like to be kind of when i get really serious about the anr i'll be objective about it and not have yeah. my own personal taste involved at yeah. all because you know the the starting point is 
pure and comes from this part of like, oh, I just love the music. But then it goes through me and then the label managers we discuss and then we get very nitty gritty about it. And then we have to go to the CEO and that's where things get even more nitty gritty and more analytical. So it's not like we for, we forego that part of it. Yeah. It's yeah. just at the beginning part of it, the research and the finding part of it is a bit more pure. So it allows us access to maybe different types of artists that maybe the other labels aren't looking at yet. But then when we get down to the nitty gritty, it's like there's so many artists that I would love to sign, but we're just not going to sign because they're not at that level yet. Like I'm saying, they need to grow it through these DIY avenues still. Like I'm not just going to sign a, a, a beginning artist just because I like the music or that they're friends with like the right people or something. But yeah, more yeah. about just. Yeah. And I and I tried to I literally listen to everything. And I, you know, luckily I have, you know, Big Dada as a team. We're all great music lovers. Everyone has different tastes. So we can all kind of really discuss everything deeply together. And that's what I like about the team is we can be very thoughtful about it. And then we kind of go from there. It's never just like a, oh, this is what I want sort of thing. It has to be objective. It cannot be from my own personal tastes or it would be all like experimental music. <laughs> yeah. And I think also like the thing is, is that when you, when you're working with a label, you need people to be on your side. And, and a lot of people get this idea, there's an A&R person and they just say what's going to get signed. And, but the flip side is that the A&R person needs to, you know, keep the vibe going within the company to help the co everybody else in the company understand who, who the, it's taking that contents, context from the artist into the company and then explaining it, and hopefully succeeding in convincing other people that, or giving them an understanding so they can go back out into the world. So does anybody have any questions? Cause I think we should probably wind down here. Oh yeah. What makes great songwriters in the label's eye? streams followers numbers i think first of all it is the music so is it does it have beautiful melodies is it catchy is it interesting and then it's about yeah is there a fan base and is there a drive to grow that fan base what are they doing to grow that fan base are they getting support from radio press dsp spotify you know all those things like there is First and foremost, the music, but then how are they participating in the industry and can can we grow them? Follow up question. How like how can a non-performing songwriter grow a fan base? Is just working with the right artists. So finding artists that you are excited about working with and you build your catalog that way. So it's like are it's talking talking about someone who's not putting out their own music, but working with other people, right? Correct. Yes. And we better wind down here. Thanks so much for the chat. I really appreciate it. It was brilliant awesome. to talk to you. And thanks, so uh, thanks to everybody for coming. We'll see you next month. Yeah. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Hey, it's Mark again. Thanks for listening. I want to thank our special guests. May Mamoudi for chatting with me. I also want to thank Jamie Ford from Vita, who makes sure every conversation goes off without a hitch, and our podcast producer and editor, Colin McKenzie. Our music is by Finn Productions and Oliver Liu. 
The How We Listen Live In Conversation podcasts are brought to you by Beta.com. Beta enables sending and receiving of digital audio in a clean, simple, and secure way. Built for everyone working with music today. The live online series takes place on the last Tuesday of every month. Free to sign up and attend. Come and join the conversation. Go to beta.com for more information. Thanks for listening and get in touch with any questions.